Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Last week we started a new series uh, that we called We Are. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at the various aspects of what makes us who we are as Reveal Church. I told you last week this is quite possibly the last series that we'll have before we get the keys to the new place. And so it is our last opportunity to prepare and to sharpen and to get ready to make the great Reveal migration a mile and a half east. Last week I talked about uh, we are one of many. That we reveal church, that we are not in this thing alone, that we are part of a much bigger story. We went all the way back to Genesis 12, where God gives the promise to Abraham, and then again in Genesis 20, and we tracked that history on God bringing about his story, blessing the entire earth. Remember his word to Abraham was that, I will bless the entire world through you, through your family line, of course, Moving on down through the years, it's Jesus who was born through uh, his lineage, and Jesus brings blessing to the entire uh, world. And we are a continuation of that story. We are a gathering of many gatherings throughout history, both past, present, and future, who call upon the name of Jesus, who believe, as we believe, that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross, buried, and rose again on the third day. And then I encourage you personally to look in the rearview mirror of your own faith, that you would see that your faith is not just your faith, but that your faith is part of the story of thousands and millions of people who have the same faith in Jesus Christ as you have, that you are not in this thing alone, that we are part of a bigger story that God has been weaving together since the foundations of time bringing us to this point, this time in history, and now we take our place as ambassadors for his kingdom. That's what we're part of. We are one of many. But there is a problem. At least if you believe the countless reports and case studies, online articles and books that say that the church, the Western church, may be in trouble. All of them land on this idea that Christians today in the West are dissed. They are disillusioned, disappointed, disheartened, dissatisfied, disgruntled, and disenchanted. Perhaps this should be no surprise to us because the church has gone the way of culture, which has a focus on self and a focus on me, where it's all about me. And we have brought this inward focus into the church. We have taken our place among the congregation, and we have said, dazzle me. We have, we have taken our place in the church and we have said, wow me. And the church in response has tried to dazzle you, has tried to wow you. And we've tried to keep up with social trends and we've brought in the smoke for worship. We haven't, but churches have brought in the smoke for the worship and all the displays and all of these things and trying to fill every moment with great theatrics and trying to keep you engaged. And now we are finding years later that it doesn't work. That this happy meal, narcissistic, God exists primarily for me, toothless faith, prosperity gospel does not work. Now in case you're wondering where I stand, I'm going to repeat that. Because maybe that wasn't clear enough. That this happy meal, narcissistic, God exists primarily for me, toothless faith, prosperity gospel does not work. 
and on our present course, the Western church runs the risk of becoming a mere historic curiosity or an irrelevant religious sideshow to the masses who think we gather for no purpose. The state of the church, at least depending on what you read, some are sobering statistics. One statistic I read recently said that only 30% of churchgoers actually find church meaningful in their lives. So we're going to have about 300 adults that come through. 90 will say church is meaningful to them. If our church meets the statistics of uh, the rest of the churches. 30% says that church has no relevance to them at all. And these are churchgoers. They only go out of duty. And then 40% are ambivalent to church, meaning they can take it or they can leave. It doesn't really mean much. Church shut down tomorrow, not a big deal. Millennials were asked their opinion of the church, and the majority of them said that it seems that God is actually missing from the church today. So let's ask a question. If Jesus is the founder and the builder and the sustainer of the church, is this what he intended for the church? And let's personalize it a little bit because we are the church, right? It's not walls, it's not roof, it's not brick and mortar. We are the church. Is this what Jesus intended for you? Where your God experience would be, you know, taking a bulletin on, on a Sunday morning and, and going over to your seat and, and, and sitting down and waiting for the music to start and you flip through it and then you stand and you put the bulletin down and you clap for about the first six beats and then you stop How many songs are they doing today? I hope it's not one of those five song Sundays. Then you sit down and you open the bulletin again because it gives you something to do. And you put the bulletin away and you think, well, at least Marty's speaking. But I hope he's funny because he was boring last week. 30 minutes. You pray. Stand up. What's for lunch? You walk out and you rinse and you repeat. Is that really what Jesus intended for his church. I mean, if he is the builder, the sustainer, and the director of the church, is this what he intended for us? How how did we take the radical, life-changing teachings, the soul-saving teachings of the most polarizing man to ever walk the planet and land on this easy-bake, risk-free, cater-to-my-needs religious experience that we call the Western church? How have we taken the example of Jesus who tore down religious systems and challenged the status quo just to land 2,000 years later on a new religious system that, according to statistics, leave most Christians empty? Is this the church that Jesus intended? Listen to the words of Jesus as he describes his purpose. And as you listen, I want you to realize that he then passes his purpose or his mission on to his followers, meaning that his mission becomes our mission. And here's what Jesus says in Luke's gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to preach the good news. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's, it, this, he says, is my mission. And if this is my mission, he says, this then becomes the mission of those who follow me, the church. He says, this is what it would look like if I am leading my church. 
He says the poor are preached the good news. Now what is the good news? We've talked about that as we studied the book of John. The good news, numerous ways to put it, but the good news is that God came to us because we could not get to him. That God is active in redeeming creation, providing a way for our sins to be removed. And Jesus said, I have come to preach the good news to the poor. And that was scandalous. Because in the first century, like it has been throughout the majority of human history, the poor were marginalized and forgotten and pushed to the side. Matter of fact, at this time in history, the poor were seen to be in poverty or disease or sickness because they have upset God and this was now a punishment upon them from God himself. That either they sinned or their parents sinned and so God was putting punishment upon them and so their poverty was payment for what they had done. And yet Jesus, this is his first public speaking address, steps into the crowd, opens up scripture and reads from Isaiah. He's quoting the Old Testament. And he shines a spotlight on those that society has forgotten. He said that I have come for the poor, poor in resources, poor in status, poor in spirit. This is what it looks like when I lead the church. Then he says this is what it looks like. The captives are released, the emotionally and the mentally imprisoned with fears and phobias and painful memories and captive to demonic tyranny. The oppressed are released. Throughout his ministry, Jesus was crystal clear what his mission was and the mission that he then passed on to us. Over falsehood, he said, I bring a kingdom of truth. And over judgment, I bring love. And over death, I bring life. And over the demonic, I institute freedom. And over guilt, I bring release and forgiveness. And then he passes that on to you. Meaning that we should be saying this passage, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Because his mission becomes our mission. And now you can see what I mean when I ask how did we take the radical, life-changing, soul-saving teachings of the most polarizing man in history and land on this easy-bake, risk-free, cater-to-my-needs religious experience that we call the church how have we taken the example of jesus that tore down religious systems and challenged the status quo just to land on a new religious system that has left so many christians empty now for the time we have left i want us to contrast the difference between a comfortable church and a committed church a church that is committed to the things of god and the mission of god Let's pray. Lord, speak to us. Spirit of God, speak to us. Move us away from just our own comfort and inward focus and move us to a commitment to your cause and a commitment to the things of Christ and a commitment to the mission of Jesus that we would play our part and reach the people that you love. Spirit, move us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Comfortable church versus committed church. Religion, I want you to know, is comfortable. Commitment is painful. Religion is often tweaked and bent and edited over time until it lands on a form of spirituality that is most rewarding for its followers. 
that we will find something eventually that feels good, that fills a void. We'll cling to ideas and beliefs that feel good to us. We'll find a church that says what we want to hear. Oftentimes we would create a designer God in our own image who thinks as I think, believes as I believe, acts as I act. Religion is bent until it feels comfortable and feels good to me, helps me move my kingdom forward, helps me get whatever it is I feel I need most of. Comfortable church is about religion, where we ask what's in it for me, how does it benefit me, am I comfortable with this religious experience, is it releasing my guilt, am I acquiring blessings, is there a promise of, of an afterlife, but Jesus was never really all that interested in comfort. Matter of fact, he seemed to go the opposite way, where he actually went out of his way to make people uncomfortable. Mark 1.15, he spoke of his kingdom when he said that the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was always speaking about this kingdom, the kingdom of God, that he is the kingdom. The kingdom has come among us. Living in the first century, you would have known exactly what he meant when he spoke of the kingdom of God is at hand. Because... Rome, the Roman Empire or the Roman Kingdom was the end-all, be-all of the known world. The Kingdom of Rome infiltrated every part of your life. It was a persuasive uh, uh, and pervasive influence in the world. And if you lived under the banner of the Roman Kingdom, you yielded your rights and submitted to the Roman way of life. Jesus now steps in and says, I've come to bring a kingdom that is not of this world. And he says, and if you want to be part of my kingdom, you must surrender yourself to the king of the kingdom, which can be painful. This is why Jesus said things like, you're going to have to take up your cross and you're going to have to die to yourself. Why he said things like, uh, uh, why John said that uh, that we're going to need to decrease that he may increase in our lives. Why Paul says that it's no longer I who live, but it's Jesus who lives through me. Where Paul said, I've been crucified, that this man, it's no longer about me. Jesus tells us that you will be asked to give up and let go of the very things that you feel are most important in life. Because, he says, if you want to be part of the kingdom, you must submit to the king. See, religion is comfortable, but a commitment to Jesus and the cause of Jesus is going to be painful. Because it's going to go against our flesh and we will have a decision. Who will rule our world, our spirit or our flesh? And the one that wins is the one that is fed the most. So, first, comfortable church versus a committed church. A comfortable church is personal. A committed church to the things of God is communal. A comfortable church says that it's my religion, it's my beliefs, it's my time, it's my resources. Now listen, while a relationship with God, your faith, yes, it is personal, but its expression was always meant to be communal and shared with others. So let's get something kind of straightened out. We talk a lot about Jesus coming, Jesus coming to us, Jesus coming to be in our heart, Jesus coming to, into my life. And, but, but I want us to understand something, that we don't invite God into our small K kingdom and God shows up and looks around and says, you got a pretty good little thing here. How can I make it better? See, it's not that, that Jesus steps into our kingdom, it's that he invites us into his kingdom and his kingdom takes over our kingdom where it's no longer about us. 
Meaning that we are on this faith journey together. And so what God is saying is that when we become part of his kingdom, he says, now go do life with the other people in the kingdom. Work out your salvation. Work out your faith. Do this thing together. This is the community that is the church. And we were never meant to do this alone. A comfortable church is where it's me, my needs. I can be isolated. Nobody has to depend on me. But a committed church is always communal. Where we are a better church when you're doing your part as part of the church. And we suffer when everyone is not doing their part as the church. The church was always meant, our faith was always meant to be communal. Listen to what Peter said, 1 Peter 2. He said, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's what this means. The Bible calls you a living stone. Picture yourself as a living stone that God has been collecting from around the world, gathering them together, for, for in, in our case, for a church called Reveal, and he begins building you as a living stone with other living stones, putting us together with Christ as our foundation, putting us together into a spiritual house or a church, right? The church is not brick and mortar, it's not walls, it's not a roof, you are the church. And the imagery here is that you are a living stone that God has been collecting to form into the church known as Reveal. That we would be at our best for this time, for this season, for this place in history as we make the jump into our new place. You are a living stone. Somewhere over there likes it, and I like that person over there. Go ahead and do it again. See, I got him going with you. Yes, your faith is personal, but yes, your faith was always meant to be expressed and shared in a community. Look at the next one. A comfortable church is sanitary, and a committed church, it's messy. In a safe, comfortable church, everything has its proper place, everything is scripted, everything's planned, everything's clean and predictable, there's no surprises, it's the way we've always done it, we've done it like this for eight years, a hundred years, two hundred years, we know how this is going down, don't rock the boat, just maintain the status quo. But a church that is committed to reaching the people that Jesus loves will always be a church that is messy on the inside. When you were a kid, maybe you remember this little rhyme that said, here's the church, Here's the steeple, open the doors, and see all the people. Remember that? Well, here's the thing. The people inside of the church are a little crazy. (laughs) This one right here is you, right? This one over here is me. There's a new study out that says that in an average church of 500 people, that everyone in that church said they know at least one person in their church. That is crazy. Now start thinking about the people that you know. You see them, don't you? If you can't find that person, you're that person. I I made that study up. That's not true. Don't go telling people. But the truth is is that the people in the church, we are the people, we're all a bit crazy. We are. We're all wounded. We're all scarred. We all have a story. We all have our our past and we bring all of this baggage into the church. And if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we will always be a messy church because there's always an influx of messy people coming in. 
And so this is what the church needs to be about. The church was never meant to be safe and sanitary. Going after the people God loves means that all kinds of people will be coming through the doors. People who are both like you and people who are nothing like you. All at various stages of faith and at various stages of spiritual renewal. All with a unique story. All with a background. All with hang-ups. Just as we all have a background and hang-ups. And that means the church will always be messy. Proverbs 14. The writer says this. Without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Now, when you take this verse, it should... It should somewhat alter the way that we look at church, that it really is about a large harvest. A committed church isn't satisfied with a small harvest of just people who are transferring churches. A committed church wants those who are outside of the church, never been to church, who are messed up with hang-ups and falling and, and you know, constantly. They want those people coming into the church that there would be a large harvest. But if there's a large harvest, it means there's a large mess. The farmer knows a large harvest requires embracing the mess. And if you want a large harvest as a church, it means you're going to shovel a lot of stuff. I don't know what you were thinking. I love this verse because it challenges my lean towards comfort. And it challenges my leaning towards what's familiar and what feels good and what's normal and what's comfortable to me. And it says that if you want a harvest, it means some things are going to get messy. It becomes a mess. Often that can mean some discomfort. For us, it means the evaluation of ministry and programs. It might mean saying goodbye to ministry activities that didn't produce a harvest. It may mean retooling and restructuring, and you're going to hear about some of those things very soon. It may take a financial risk. You're going to hear about that in this message. It means not shying away from difficult questions. If, if you want a harvest, the stall's going to be messy. And I would love to have a messy church. Revia, we're positioning ourselves for a harvest. And you may not like a messy stable, and I get it. But what's not okay is to settle for a small harvest because you don't like the mess and you want something that's comfortable. That's not what the church was supposed to be about. You realize that your salvation is a result of the messiest event in human history. You realize that the doors were swung open because of an event called the crucifixion and there was nothing neat and tidy about it. And it is the cross that swings open the doors of the church where messy people can feel comfortable and feel at home to explore their faith. We are all messy people, seeking truth, searching for answers, pursuing Jesus. And yet sometimes we find ourselves struggling and falling and even failing. Now when I say many messy people, I don't mean that, that, that the church ever just kind of looks the other way on sin and, and that you know, perpetual ongoing sin is never addressed. That's, that's not who we are as a church. You, you know me too well for that. I do mean that reveal must be a safe spiritual place for the weak and the weary and the worn out. I do mean very clearly that we must be a church for the person who follows Jesus yet still deals with depression and thoughts of suicide. And to that person we say welcome without condemnation. 
I do mean that we must be a church for those who are seeking truth yet find themselves struggling with homosexual tendencies. We must be the church to say, welcome, here you can find truth, and here you can find freedom, and here you can find forgiveness. For young adults who are trying to find faith, yet are struggling with self-harm, we say, you're welcome to be here. For the woman who loves Jesus but is fighting with anorexia or bulimia or some other disorder, we are a church for that person. For a church, who, those who have walked away from the faith or those who have never been in the faith, we are a church for them. We are a church for those who have broken marital vows. And we say forgiveness runs deep here. We are a church not just for the up-and-comer, but we are a church for the down-and-outer. We are a church for followers of Jesus who find themselves on Lexapro and find themselves on Prozac and find themselves on Paxil and find themselves on Viagra and find themselves... Skip that last one. We're a church for all of those people. I hope you're not clapping for the Viagra part because that's just weird. By the way, in full transparency, Wellbutrin is my drug of choice. I had to get on about two years, year and a half after starting this church. You did this to me. Listen, I know there are some who would say, well, if you just had enough faith, and if you just loved Jesus enough, you wouldn't have. We are not that church. We're a church where those people, like myself, who are striving to find more of Christ and embrace the things of God and give our lives to the kingdom, and yet there's still some struggles that we have. In my case... 300 milligrams, and say, and to say, you are welcome here. I hope I'm always welcome in my own church, I can tell you that much. We are a church for families in crisis, and we are a church for the white man, white woman, black man, black woman, brown man, brown woman. We are a church for U.S. citizens, and we will be a church for those on work visas, and we will be a church for those who are here illegally. Now, let me just say this, because I know this is a source of tension, all right? I want you to ask yourself, what is the purpose of the church? And the purpose of the church is really clear. We are ambassadors for the kingdom. And from everything I can gather, that... There are no qualifiers for those who are offered community and those who are offered the gift of salvation. That the role of the church is to say, you are welcome here regardless of your past or regardless of where you might find yourself on the immigration timeline. Now, on the other side, I am for strong borders. I am for border defense. I am for a strong military. But when someone comes to our doors of the church, my role as a follower of Christ is crystal clear and it rises above every political view I have. And that is saying, you're welcome. I realize that's a hot topic issue and I would ask that you would allow this to speak to you over politics. Because you can be both and. You can be both pro-border and everyone's welcome to come. Everyone's welcome through the doors of the church. They're not in opposition to one another. And so this is the church that we need to be, and we will be that church, and it's going to be messy. And it's going to be uncomfortable at times. And it means you're going to be challenged sometimes. And it means there will be people like you, and there will be people who are unlike you. But that is the church at its best. The last one, a comfortable church is safe. 
and a committed church is risky. I told you on the front end, we've gone all in on this church move. Uh, chips in the center of the table, um, you know, there's nothing holding back. We've been doing this for eight plus years. We've been looking for buildings for a long time. There's very few vacant places uh, in Surprise, and we kept, you know, we've been working. And, and finally, I just kind of had a come to Jesus moment, and my wife and I sat down and talked about it, talked about it with our staff, talked about it with the board. I said, look, it's time to, you know, we're, we're all in or we're all out. And so we're going to bet the farm on this one. We're going to bet the farm that God wants us to be a church in a community that can reach people who are far from Jesus Christ. And so we're all in on this. Myself, the staff, we've all talked. Hey, if we've got to take other jobs to make it happen, then that's what, we'll, that's what we'll do. Because at some point, the cause of Christ has to be big enough that we're willing to risk everything for it. And so this is our step. And we're going to find out really soon how much God is in all of this. And I believe that our best days of a church, our best days of a harvest, our best days of salvations and changed marriages and changed lives lie in front of us. Let me close with this quote from Teddy Roosevelt. He says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who actually is in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again. But there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows with great enthusiasm the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst if he or she fails at least fails while daring greatly so that his or her place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat you see we can't go out without taking our shot at this we, we can't go out with being those who neither know the taste of victory or defeat. And so we're, we are all in on this. Because I believe that the cause of Jesus is important enough that we take this big of a risk. Even if it should sink us. Because the cause of Christ means sometimes you step in and you just take a flyer. And you take a risk. And so for order, in order for us to be the church that I believe God wants us to be, that I believe you want us to be, we're going to need, as I spoke about last week, an entire influx, a new influx of volunteers. And so on your way out, there's going to be a table for volunteers. Sign up. And I'm asking for four areas that you would step into. I'm asking that if you serve once a month, that you would say, you know what, that's not, that's not a risk, that's not painful, that's comfortable church once a month, that's easy. And that you would consider stepping into something that's going to cost you a little bit. It's going to be painful somewhat. You're going to have to get up on Sundays that maybe you don't want to get up. And we're asking for four areas. We're asking for a new influx of Peter, pe people who will be greeters, especially those who speak Spanish. That you would say, I'll give my time at one of the two services every other week and I'll be a greeter. That's for me. There's a sign up for you out on the table, out in the lobby. 
We're having a, a, a coffee bar that's not just serving coffee like we have now, but there'll be some mixed coffee drinks and things like that. So we're going to need baristas who are going to be friendly and welcoming to people. You're going to be the first, second uh, people uh, that people see when they enter the church. They'll pass by greeters, and there you will be. And so we need people who are willing to be trained to be baristas and can you know, serve in that ministry area. Listen, we're doing this because we're trying to create a culture where people can come and feel welcome and experience the presence of God. We're going to need people who are stepping into our children's ministry because we cannot continue to function with the same volunteers that we've had for the last two and a half years. That means that you are going to need to to step out and risk, and it may be a little painful. You may need to serve in an area that maybe you're not completely thrilled with, but you're going to get into it and find out that God really does something to you, that, that these kids are ministering to you as much as you are ministering to them. We're going to need you for that. There's a sign up in the lobby for that. We're going to need people who are willing to help with cleaning on a you know, once every other week, once every three week schedule that a team can come in and have the church ready to go for that Sunday. And so I'm asking that you would count the cost because we are committed. We are committed to the cause and the mission of Jesus Christ. And if you are committed, it means that sometimes things are going to be painful. Sometimes you're going to have to risk. Sometimes things are going to be messy. But the cause of Jesus is worth it. I'm hoping that we take this journey together. And that doesn't mean that you take it only in body, but you take this in spirit and in effort and in, and in commitment with us. Let's pray. I love the gospel story. I love the message of Jesus. I love the idea that God came to us when we could not get to him. And Father, I love how you take ordinary, untrained people and you enlist them into your kingdom. You take those with a past and those with uh, questionable backgrounds that we all have. You take the worst of sinners and you enlist them into spreading your message. You take the untrained and the uneducated and the educated. You take those who are rich and those who are poor. You take those from every ethnicity, every tribe, and every tongue. You take anyone who would say yes to you. And so today, I'm praying that you stir within this church Men and women, young adults, children who would say yes to you. Who would say yes to being the church. Yes to changing people's lives. Yes to making people feel welcome. Yes to making a place for a messy church and a huge harvest. Lord, we do this together because we are the church and you have gathered us as living stones for such a time as this, for a season such as this. Be blessed. 
you are the highly exalted one. No other king but you, Jesus. Amen. Listen, we'll continue the series. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you down here. Um, If you can help with the flooring sometime this week, the cleaning, make sure you fill out your bulletin. Sign up, please, uh, in the lobby. We'll contact you with more information. Love to meet you. We'd also love to pray for you if you need prayer. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.